This episode is brought to you by Levitt Pavilion. This summer, check out one of my favorite outdoor concert venues in Denver, Levitt Pavilion. May through October, Levitt is offering ticketed and totally free all-ages concerts. I feel like we just go to anything that's free because it's like the kids can be at the show and it's people aren't weird about it and you can like bring a picnic. It's awesome. Some of the free shows this season include Iskali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Chali Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. Ladies and gentlemen, our 46th mayor, Mayor Mike Johnston. Denver has a new mayor with a whole new attitude and a whole new set of plans for the city. But what sort of change is he actually going to make? Hello. I haven't done anything yet. <laughs> Just starting. Before Mayor Mike really starts, former state historian Nikki Gonzalez joins me and producer Paul Caroli to take a look at Mike Johnston and his big inauguration speech with the long view of history. Today is Wednesday, July 19th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Nikki Gonzalez, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And Bree is also here, of course. Hello. So Mike Johnston was inaugurated as mayor on Monday. He's now hard at work putting all his campaign promises into action. But we thought this was a perfect opportunity to step back away from the day to day. You know, we know he's going to be working hard. There's going to be developments every day. But how often do we have an opportunity to look at a transition like this from a historical perspective? So, Nikki, you were born and raised here in Denver. You're a former state historian. Feels like you are perfectly suited to help us get a little bit of perspective on this moment of transition from Hancock to Johnston. I feel a lot of hope, but I think even more so the historical moment. Um, it could be a transition, you know, from one person to another, not not really mattering who those people are, but rather just after 12 years, new blood, new blood at the at the top. And it's really the kind of the magnitude of changes that this new mayor is going to confront that I think has some precedent in history if we look back. So, I mean, just to have, you know, after 12 years, some some fresh perspectives, um, because I think that if you look at the last 12 years, Denver is such a different city than it was 12 years ago. And so looking back, um, I would probably compare it to the time period of World War II and the the rapid changes that came to the city of Denver to to compare as far as the enormity of change that the city has been through and the new challenges that the new mayor is going to face. I'm so interested in this parallel. Like what was what was the shift at that time that post World War II it, like population wise it was it was an influx of a lot of people kind of like what we've experienced, right? It was. But what else what do you what else do you see there as as a parallel? The, just the changing of the landscape of the city. So as a result of the war, we have war industries and certain industries that were feeding the war effort. So for example, 
the rural to urban migration into the city of Denver was huge. Historians estimate that between 1940 and 1950, the population of Denver itself grew about 29%. People are coming to the city from rural areas in southern Colorado and northern Colorado, also New Mexico, to work in industries like Gates Rubber Company, um, which was producing, you know, parts for some of the munitions, and also Remington Arms Plant, which was, which is now the Federal Center at Sixth and Kipling, um, but which drew people into those into those war industry jobs, as well as you know growth in the agricultural industries and processing of food and um, meat packing. So you see people coming for economic opportunity. Um, the U.S. government is even recruiting workers, laborers from Mexico as part of the Bracero program. And so the whole landscape, both demographic and physical, um, of Denver will change during those war years. Man, I have so many thoughts, Paul. Tell <laughs> me about it. It's like him. blowing my him. mind. Well, I'm also just thinking about, so So Paul lives in the neighborhood I grew up in in Virginia Village, built in the 50s. My house there was built in 1954. This is like a direct correlation to that growth was these neighborhoods were being built. And I I just I can't it's making it's making more sense now that you're making those that parallel like that was the growth we were seeing. And also industry. We don't talk a lot about industry here, how it impacts Denver and Colorado the same ways I think about like, you know, a city like Detroit or somewhere where that is so dominant. But you're right. That was Gates Rubber. I think for folks that don't know, that was along Broadway along South Broadway, it was a massive employer and a, just a massive building. It, it was an b- integral part of our city's identity. I mean, I feel like the obvious parallel with the last 10 years, the Hancock years, is the, the tech boom we saw yeah. and all of the energy downtown. I mean, right now it's hard to imagine a downtown that was like buzzing and vibrant, but I think the Hancock years downtown really did have that feeling. And it was all these young, affluent people moving here for these high high-paid, high-powered tech jobs. So yeah, I mean, the I can see the shape of the city really, I mean, we talk about it all the time. Downtown, no one's going back there. All these office buildings are underutilized and like, is that going to be a big commercial, you know, real estate crunch that we're heading into? But it's, it's reshaping the city like you're talking about. That's so interesting. Our dream of Denver is refusing to abandon our city center, but instead promising to reimagine it. As centers of commerce and culture, art and music, where all of us can live and work and play, to build industries that manifest the creativity of our diverse entrepreneurs, that showcase what makes us different and what makes us Denver, in spaces where all of us feel seen and safe and celebrated. Um, let's talk more about this, this tension between population growth and economic prosperity, because that feels like the real the actual biggest story of the day here in Denver is this change from when we had 10 years of population growth to now and maybe it's slowing down, maybe even declining. Um, You know, Johnston is going to be the steward of that, whatever is to come. Does that sound like a decline speech? Is he managing decline? Is that what you all heard? I heard that he was acknowledging the frustration and the struggles of many folks who have been here for a long time who have not reaped the benefits of that growth that explosive growth time that's what i heard him say was acknowledging things that i didn't really hear hancock ever acknowledge to a a really deep degree which is like how do we make this a place for all how do we make this an affordable city for all and so i i'm 
I was just very tuned into that because it's the conversation I've been hearing in this city for the last 10 years. As someone who's connected to the city through all different avenues, I hear that from so many different kinds of people, from so many different neighborhoods, from so many different places. And um, that was just, it was just a, it felt like a real, an acknowledgement of the reality that I didn't often hear from Hancock, which was acknowledging our reality as people living here. Can we afford it? Can we afford our own city anymore? Which was not the same conversation 12 years ago. I think that's a really good point. Recognizing people who could no longer afford to live in the city, maybe who have problems with addiction and are, are living right. on the street. I was, again, something that has come to the forefront in terms of conversation more in the last couple of years. It's always been an ongoing issue in our communities. But um, I, and again, my ears perked up to Johnston talking about folks with addiction issues. What his actions will be is what I'll be watching for. What we know is at our worst, we get caught in the cycle of American hurt. But at our best, we build a cycle of American hope. We set ambitious dreams. We bring together broad coalitions. We take courageous action and we deliver steady, small successes that every day build our trust in our neighbors and build our faith in our ability to achieve big dreams. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade, hello, Palisade Wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. This episode is brought to you by the Denver Botanic Gardens. It's time for the 75th annual spring plant sale at the Denver Botanic Gardens. Mark your calendars for Friday and Saturday, May 10th and 11th. Admission is free, but you must register in advance at botanicgardens.org. Registering my husband, Greg, right now for the plants I want him to pick out and plant in our yard for me. <laughs> Shop from 15 different plant divisions, including annuals, houseplants, herbs and veggies, and specialties like aquatics, container garden in a bag, and plants grown right at the gardens. The garden's horticulture staff will be on site to answer any and all plant questions you may have. This sale emphasizes water smart and native plants that are perfect for our semi-arid climate. They'll be great for a beautiful landscape that doesn't require a bunch of water. For more details, registration information, and a catalog of available plants, go to botanicgardens.org. That's botanicgardens.org. There's part of this that I think about. It reminds me of um, my AP U.S. history teacher. He used to always say that in in history, the the generals only ever learned to fight the last war that they were in, not the next war. And when sometimes when I hear Mike Johnston talk, I don't always hear him do the thing that Hancock was so good at, in my opinion, which is speak to the aspiration and point to that direction forward and like pushing us to that next higher level. I mean, Johnston's big talking point is he wants to make Denver one of America's best cities. 
Hancock said he wanted to make us a world-class city. I want to hear from you, Nikki, because this is where Paul and I extremely diverge. Like, I'll I'll say more, but I want to hear from you. I sensed a little bit of a reality, kind of a a sense of reality from Johnston. So I've been kind of paying attention to his transition team and how he's created different committees um, to address issues like homelessness, um, mental health, well-being, you know, in in the different neighborhoods. And so my sense is that He's looking at these issues, which are very deeply rooted. You know, there are no easy solutions here. And he's really relying on experts in the community. And I think my sense is that he will listen to those people um, to address those issues. You know, instead of, you know, making these sort of empty platitudes, um, that he'll be really engaged with people and, and, and kind of get down to the grittiness of the work. And maybe he doesn't have things figured out right now. One of the things that you that um, I thought of, Paul, when you were talking was when F- Franklin Roosevelt, President Roosevelt, gave his um, inauguration speech. Right afterwards, he was sitting with his son, and his son was helping him take off his leg braces. And he confessed to his son, he said, I have no idea what I'm doing. And he said, you know, I've said this thing about a new deal, right? And he had no idea what that new deal would look like. But what his genius was, and this he's not a mayor, he, he wasn't a mayor, but he, he was an executive leader. He was very good at putting people around him who, who were the experts, and that's, that's how he governed. And so I almost see, you know, not that I'm comparing uh, Mike Johnson to, to FDR, but I almost see the same process. FDR vibes. FDR vibes. I like that. I see it too. I see it too. That is an interesting comparison. And I agree with you. I think Mike is doing exactly that because that's something I've noticed from the beginning of this transition team conversation. A lot of folks I know and respect in the community from cultural standpoints, artistic in particular, I would say his his connections to the arts community are very clear, but also political activism. Um, I mean, I think about Senator Julie Gonzalez. Uh, She's working within the framework of democracy, but she's started as a grassroots organizer and she was one of the first people I saw to say, this guy's it. And I was like, okay, if Julie says so, I agree. And so I, I agree with you. He's building that. Who are my experts to who can speak to or at least connect with the things that I, I just don't have any experience with or that's just not my story. Um, but Paul, I do want to go back to this thing mm-hmm. that you and I push back and forth on, which is that the world-class city thing that Hancock always pushed never resonated with me. It felt it felt fake and for someone else. It didn't ever feel like for me as a Denverite. And so the fact that Johnston really said that, deliver Denver as America's best city, I was like, I feel like we're being pulled back down to earth for the first time and being like, here we actually are. This is the ground level that we're working from. And we want to get to this next step before we go 100 feet high. So... I personally found that um, to be what I wanted to, that's what I wanted to hear. And Hmm. I I think it it just, it sold me more on Johnston than Hancock's vision had ever. So Hmm. I think you and I will be watching this and debating it. (laughs) But at our best, we build a cycle of American hope. We bring together broad coalitions. We take courageous action and we deliver steady, small successes that every day build our trust in our neighbors, and build our faith in our ability to achieve big dreams. If we can integrate one bus line in Montgomery, then maybe, just maybe we can integrate buses and schools and businesses for an entire country. 
If we can open up the franchise for women in one state, then maybe we can do it in all 50 states. If we can send a rocket into space, then maybe we can send a person to the moon. So speaking of this uh, America's best city line that Johnston has been repeating, <laughs> I, I when he said that on Monday in his inauguration speech, I couldn't help but think about my favorite science fiction writer, Kim Stanley Robinson. Have either of you, are either of you familiar? No. <laughs> okay. He had a book that was on uh, one of Obama's like favorite of the year list a couple of years ago. That's probably his claim to fame. But this is, that's not the book I want to talk about. The book I want to talk about is his novel, New York 2140 in which he imagined a world where uh, a climate changed world where New York city has been flooded and you know, people are going up and down the boulevards on boats. And in this world, Denver is the financial capital of the United States. <laughs> That's what he predicted for this world. So is that, wow. is that the way, is that our path to becoming America's best city? Is it, you know, all the other cities get flooded and drowned or, you know, wildfired? I hope not. I really hope not, Paul, because I've, I've been to, I've lived in New York City for a little bit. It is an incredible city. It has everything you could ever want. It's tough to beat. It is tough to beat. It has every cultural phenomenon you've ever wanted to experience, except for their Mexican food. It's not. It's terrible. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I came home. I was like, what was that? Um, but Denver has, to me, what I've said this before on the show, what makes Denver great is what happens when no one is looking. So we don't, we really, when we want to get the work done, we get that, we put our heads down and we do the work and we become the city that we want to be. And I think that's why we've considered, we've consistently been a place that people flock to. We're not New York level, but people have always wanted to come here. And I think there's a reason for that. But I don't, I don't know. I just think I, it just goes back to my feeling that we don't need to be so big. We don't have to think of ourselves so big. We just have to enjoy and respect who we are. I would agree with that. I think our definition of great, um, yeah, shouldn't be tied to size, but to the values that we live by. And I felt like, you know, I, I appreciated that um, Johnston you know, talked a lot about values and how we treat one another. And I really think that if we set that foundation in the beginning, we will become a great city because of the way we treat each other. And I, I recently heard a speech by um, the president of Holy Cross College in Massachusetts, and he said, let's see, a just institution is that which prioritizes the needs of the least among us. And I feel like we might have the building blocks, a strong city council, strong populace, and a mayor who who I think will listen. Um, we might be on our way to, to making some progress in that area. That is our dream of Denver. That is our promise to our people. That is our pledge to each other. That is how we put our, our arms around those stuck in a cycle of hurt, and it is how we pull this city back into a cycle of hope. It is how we dream, serve, and deliver Denver as America's best city. Now, let's get to work. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Gonzalez. Thanks so much for joining us. This was lovely. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, we love your perspective, Nikki. Thank you so much. And here's what else Denverites are talking about. Mike Johnston's first act as mayor. 
As expected, Mayor Mike declared a state of emergency around homelessness. According to the Colorado Sun, Johnston said he aims to house 1,000 people living unsheltered by the end of 2023, which is less than six months away. His team is reportedly looking at nearly 200 plots of public land around the city for potential micro-communities and has been working with property owners and hotels to find availability. But while the Johnston team is on the hunt for land, we have an update on our conversation earlier this week about Denver's rival city. Could it really be Salt Lake City, Utah? Or is it somewhere else? We already got some great comments, but we want more. Leave us a voicemail with your name, neighborhood, and take on Salt Lake City, and you might hear it on the show. That number is 720-500-5418. Again, the Denver is better than Salt Lake City hotline is 720-500-5418. Five four one eight. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Salt Lake City Mayor Aaron Mendenhall about us? Rate us five stars wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye. just gonna call him Mayor Mike. He doesn't get a choice.